This is the APS China Quarterly, July 2020. Why China Now by Stella Zong and Chris Xu. China's Underweight. Global investor interest in China has markedly increased since MSCI's inclusion of A shares in 2018, yet many questions remain on allocators' minds. Declining growth, deteriorating U.S. China relations, and now COVID 19 are some of the uncertainties. While foreign investors have increased their allocation to China over the years, their total exposure is a mere 3.5% of the onshore Chinese equity market. This suggests that the majority are still underweight China, and the allocation can only rise as China continues to grow. We believe there are three key reasons why China's weight in global and domestic portfolios will increase. Declining Country Risk Premium China's success in containing COVID 19, despite initial missteps, and the swift rebooting of the economy demonstrates once again that the country has in place effective governance structures and processes in handling crises. Because of its prudent economic management during this pandemic, We expect it might turn out to be the only major nation globally to escape a 2020 GDP contraction. As far as we can see, bankruptcies and unemployment in China will likely eventually turn out to be considerably less severe than in most major countries. Investors have historically demanded a higher risk premium for investing in China, but we posit that the premium will decline to the levels of other Asian developed markets in the coming years. This will likely translate into higher returns, as it ought to be when macro risks decline. Another key structural reason for the declining equity risk premium would be higher earnings quality. China's first stage of economic growth that started in the 1980s was fueled by reforms, the opening of its economy, and entry into the WTO. Entering the second stage of development, we are seeing an improvement in the quality of earnings. As witnessed in other emerging markets, investors will pay higher earnings multiples for better earnings quality. Growth According to the World Bank, China's GDP, in terms of purchasing power parity, will reach USD 64 trillion by 2030 versus USD 31 trillion for the United States. This forecast takes into account China's deceleration from the rapid double digit GDP growth rates seen 10 years ago to a more modest but still relatively respectable growth rate of 5%. Past structural growth drivers such as urbanization remain, as the current level of 60% is still a ways off from the 80% to 90% seen in developed countries. Consumption and high technology industries will be major drivers of future Chinese growth. China's per capita income of USD 10,000 is at the line that the World Bank uses to differentiate middle income countries from high income countries. To put it in perspective, China would realize our 10 year estimate if it reaches the per capita income levels of Portugal or the Czech Republic, which is realistic. Fair to say that China is in the early stages of its consumption upgrading cycle. For instance, The disposable income of the top 20% of China's population is three times that of the remaining 80%. As more Chinese join the affluent club, we can expect a second wave of consumption. Additionally, 
the younger generation are likely to mimic the consumption behavior of their Western counterparts by favoring domestic brands. In addition to becoming the largest economy in the world, the pace of modernization is also an important factor. In the past 18 months, China has stopped trumpeting Made in China 2025. However, speaking to senior executives of tech companies, we have learned that Chinese companies have actually doubled down on it. In reality, heightened U.S. rhetoric and actions on the tech front have actually accelerated China's tech trajectory. For instance, SMIC, the largest Chinese foundry, just announced on May 14th that its capex will be increased to USD 4.3 billion this year, a record high whilst unlisted companies are quietly investing. After 30 years of rapid development, China today has the financial resources, engineering talent, domestic market, and entrepreneurs, plus a national will and spirit steered by a strong center to rejuvenate and modernize the nation. In this regard, semiconductors, electric cars, mobile payment, surveillance equipment, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, big data, and quantum computing are some of the most promising industries. While most companies will fail, the successful ones will be 10 or 20 baggers. Valuation Despite the absence of macro setbacks and disruptions, Chinese equities have not kept pace with the country's higher economic growth. Earnings growth for the CSI 300 index has been in line with the S&P over the past 10 years, yet China stocks have underperformed. According to Goldman Sachs' estimates, the U.S.'s P.E. multiple will rise to 26 times this year versus China's 15 times. Many factors have been cited as contributors to this valuation discrepancy, including perceived greater political uncertainties, corruption, weaker governance, higher fiscal and monetary policy risks, the developing economy risk, a potential property market collapse, the likelihood of a currency meltdown, as well as poorer corporate governance. To be fair, some of these concerns are valid. Many have been addressed. For example, considerable time and effort was spent in President Xi Jinping's first term on combating corruption and bringing in honest and competent people to the party and government. Another example is its debt-to-GDP ratio, which has held steady since 2017's 19th Party Congress as the PBOC earnestly addressed shadow banking debt. China's fiscal prudence continues to be seen in its relatively more measured stimulus response to COVID-19. The Chinese Yuan has held stable against the Chinese foreign exchange trade system and BIS basket of currencies since 2015, and foreign inflows into its fixed income and equity markets have increased. Corporate governance has steadily improved, with greater enforcement resulting in a higher number of fraudulent companies being uncovered and investigated. Calls for stock suspensions before the February 3rd market opened due to COVID-19 fears were not heeded, a registration-based IPO process was instituted, greater disclosure standards enforced, and a host of other practices that have been introduced in recent years are providing more comfort to global investors. Another reason commonly cited for the lower earnings multiple of the Chinese market is the fear of a banking crisis sparked by Chinese banks' non-performing loans. Unlike the aggressive CNY 4.1 trillion economic stimulus rolled out in 2009, 
The Chinese government this time around has adopted a much more cautious fiscal stance to combat the slowdown induced by the COVID-19 epidemic. No wonder the Chinese bank stocks have outperformed their U.S. counterparts this time around, as the subsequent pressure on bank balance sheets would be lower in the ensuing years. China A in Global and Domestic Portfolios Although it is too early to say for sure, investors seem to think that the risk of investing in China has declined, which explains its outperformance this year. But the bigger long-term question is China's weight in global and domestic institutional portfolios. Only a small number of foreign investors have introduced exposure to their portfolios, suggesting that we still have a long runway for structural inflows. Even domestic institutional and retail investors are also underweight equities compared to their Western counterparts. According to a report by China Merchants Bank, the wealthiest 2 million people in China have investable assets of CNY 60 trillion and rising, comparable to the market capitalization of China A shares. Unlike property investing, stock investing culture has yet to take root in China. We would further posit that equity allocations to China will gradually increase from current levels because of relatively superior growth, its transformation into a technologically advanced consumer nation, lower valuations, and a declining risk premium. This is in addition to other drivers such as the likelihood of further easing of capital controls and increasing weights in global indices. Although we are in the early stages of MSCI's China Asia inclusion, China will constitute over 40% of the MSCI Emerging Market Index at full weight, making the China A share market increasingly hard to ignore. For more details, please refer to our APS Insights paper, The Truths and Half-Truths of China A Shares. Stella Zong is one of the mainland Chinese pioneers to practice professional investment management overseas from the mid-1990s. She is among the earliest batch of CFA charter holders in mainland China. Ms. Song joined APS in October 1996 after working as an investment analyst with Shanghai International Securities, the then-largest stockbroking firm in China. She is currently the deputy CIO of APS China Asset Management, with 26 years of experience investing in China equities, including H shares, B shares, and A shares. Ms. Song graduated with distinction in the Bachelor of Arts from Shanghai International Studies University. Chris Xu joined APS Asset Management's Shanghai office in 2008 and is an investment director with 14 years of investment experience. Prior to joining APS, he was an investment analyst at TX Investment Consulting. Mr. Xu received his Master of Finance from Shanghai University in 2007 and graduated with a Bachelor in Machinery from Yangtai University in 2004.